Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Come on, let's lift both hands. Father, we truly love your presence. We love your Word. We love your house. We love your people. We're asking you in Jesus' name to change each one of us by the power of your Word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Open your Bible to the book of John, chapter 13. We'll start about verse 36. I have found, personally, that people don't struggle with the decisions they make as much as they struggle with the follow-through on those decisions. Meaning it's not typically the decision to do the right thing. Most oftentimes, it's the decision to consistently do the right thing. Most oftentimes, it's the decision to follow through with the decision that you actually made. Let me give you an example. If you start a diet tomorrow morning, let me just tell you what's going to happen. All right, so first off, If you're like me, you're going to eat everything in the refrigerator tonight, praise the Lord. (laughs) And you're going to say, okay, after midnight, because that's when the next day starts. So after midnight, I'm going to have, you know, I'm I'm not going to eat any food that's not good for me. Well, you're going to be, you're going to wake up, you're going to have your smoothie or whatever you're going to do, and then you're going to drive to work, and guess what is going to be sitting in the break room? Piping hot, y'all. I'm talking Shipley's. I'm talking... Did y'all know there's a Krispy Kreme coming? coming? (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) You're going to get... Look, you're going to get to work and there's going to be a a pile of hot donuts sitting there. And you're going to be like... You're going to walk by and then somebody, your your BFF at work is going to bring you a plate of them and set them at your desk. Not sure if you saw these hot Shipley's donuts. Here you go. And you're going to be like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you're going to make it through breakfast. And then all of a sudden, you're going to find out that the, that the business won a radio station prize. And they're bringing Pizza Hut for the whole office today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> this is what happens. It's not the decision to do the right thing that we struggle with. It is the steadfast fulfillment of the decision that we made that we struggle with. This is where the spirit-filled life comes in. You see, because humanity is living with voids, pockets, and crevices that were never designed by God to be empty. In the beginning, the Bible says that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were there, and they said, let us make man in our likeness and our image. And he cast his shadow upon the ground. And the Bible says he formed man in his likeness and in his image and he stood him up out of the dust of the earth. And the Bible says that one creation got the breath of God, not the porcupine, not the zebra, not the rabbit, and certainly not cats, praise God. (laughs) Mankind got the breath, the pneuma of God breathed into him. 
the DNA of deity was placed on the inside of you. That's why when Adam went around and God told him to take care of everything, it was not a struggle or a problem for him to name the zebra and the lion and the bear and all the other animals. And the animals could not discern the authority in God's voice from the authority in man's voice because God had given all authority on earth to man. So there was no difference because of the breath of God on the inside. Then, just like you and me, Adam and Eve were on a very specific diet, and they missed the mark. Eve looks and sees some fruit, and the devil says to Eve, you should take a bite of that fruit, and you'll be like God. You won't die. But he's a liar, and she eats the fruit and gives some to her husband. They both eat it, and all of a sudden, that, that, that place that the breath of God reside, where it resided on the inside of mankind, was now void. And when man spoke, it was not like, God speaking, it was like a different creation speaking. The gap, the crevice, the holes, the voids, the places that were designed to be filled by God were now empty. God told man, he said, here's what I'm going to have to do. He said, I'm going to have to make a sacrifice that will cover your sins. And he takes and he takes an animal and he sacrifices and he uses the skin of that animal to cover the nakedness of mankind. The first time we see a blood sacrifice to cover sin. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and that instituted the greatest plan in the history of all humanity and the history of time and eternity itself because the Bible says that Jesus was not just killed 2,000 years ago. The Bible says that he was slain from the foundation of the world, the book of Revelation says. That means Jesus was not plan B because man messed up. Jesus is the plan. And if you want to use Jesus' words, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that when this happens, mankind is now put on a journey. However, because of sin, mankind is ill-equipped to handle the issues that come up. This is where you and me are before we meet Jesus. This is where the disciples were before Jesus died and before Jesus rose from the dead. And this is where we start our story, John 13, verse 36. Jesus had just gotten done. He's in the middle of having the Lord's Supper with all of the disciples. And he's telling them different promises about how he's got to go to a different place. And it's going to be, uh, there's going to be some time pass. And Simon Peter, the one who walked on water with Jesus, he has some questions. He says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, he said, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. If you have any loved ones that were Christians that died, you can't go where they are now, but you will go see them afterwards. Somebody say amen. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus said to him, he says, you can't go now. He said, but you can go afterwards. And Peter said unto him, he said, Lord, why can't I go with you? He said, I will lay my life down for you. Jesus said unto him, will you lay your life down for me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the rooster shall not crow. Till you have denied me, get this, three times. Peter didn't have a difficult time making the right decision. But Jesus is telling him, you're going to have a difficult time with the follow through. Right after this, the disciples and Jesus, they go and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're beginning to pray. And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, comes and brings a crowd of the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And they're going to drag him in front of a midnight kangaroo court and try to hold him accountable and make him guilty on charges that none of them were true. 
The Bible says they get there and all the men gather around Jesus. And it was a lynch mob, I believe. I believe they came to kill him in the garden and had no intention of taking him to actual trial. I believe they were coming to kill him in that moment. And they come up to Jesus. And instantly when they come up to Jesus, they ask him, they said, are you Jesus? And Jesus said two words. He said, I am. And instantaneously dynamite power shot out of Jesus. And everyone that came to arrest him was laying on their back. They began to shake and get themselves up, try to figure out what was going on. And finally, one of them had the courage to ask again, are you Jesus? And he said, I'm him. And they went to arrest him. And Peter, the one who said he'd lay his life down, remembered his words echoing from the upper room after just having the Passover meal with Jesus. Pulls his sword from his sheath and tries to kill a man named Malchus, one of the guards. He missed this much. Cut his ear off. His ear falls to the ground. Jesus stops Peter. He says, whoa, Peter, you're not going to wrestle against flesh and blood. If you want to live that way, that's how you'll die. And he reaches down and he picks up Malchus' ear. And he sticks it back on his head. And instantly they begin to go through the process of arresting him. I believe that miracle that Jesus did with Malchus' ear was the miracle that kept him alive so that he could be crucified. The reason he had to be crucified was because if he wasn't crucified, he would have never been wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, and the chastisement of your peace would not have been placed upon him. So literally, they take Jesus bound in stocks and chains. They begin to slap him and beat him, and they drag him in front of this court. And there's two disciples that walk in the room. The first disciple knows the chief uh, priest, so he's able to walk in, but Peter doesn't know him, so Peter has to wait by the door. And the lady who was watching the door looks at Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? See, Peter had no problem making the right decision, but now we're coming to the follow-through. He said, I didn't know Jesus. I don't know that man. What are you talking about? And, And the other disciple comes against Jesus and brings him into the temple or brings him into the area where they're having the court. Another man walks up that was actually at the garden when they arrested Jesus, saw Peter cut Malchus' ear off and go, hey, aren't you the one who cut that guy's ear off? And Peter's like, bro, that wasn't me. (laughs) You must be thinking of some other good-looking guy around here. It's a cold night. He looks over and he sees a fire where everybody's warming their hands. Jesus is on trial for his life. Nay, Jesus is on trial for your life. And he walks over and begins to warm his hands by the fire. And another lady walks up and says, hey, I've seen you with Jesus. And Peter began to cuss and fuss. He says, I don't know him. And as soon as he said it the third time, from the alleyway just down the cobblestone street, he heard the sound of a rooster beginning to crow. And instantly he realized He was able to make the right decision, but he was unable to sustain the follow-through. Depression, hurt, shame, and guilt all flooded who Peter was. They found Jesus guilty. They took him before the Roman rulers. The Roman rulers didn't want to do anything with him, but the Jews convinced convinced them to kill Jesus. They tied him to a post, the post that you and I should have been tied to. And they whipped him with a whip on his back until his back looked like ribbons. Blood splattered with each lash. They beat him within an inch of his life. 
The Roman soldiers took a crown of thorns and mashed it on his head, not knowing that where they mashed it on his head, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. And when he bled out of his head, it was proof positive that the blood was paying for the price so that you and me could have the mind of Christ as well. The Bible says that he's there and they begin to mock him and they put a purple robe on him and they gave him a stick and told him it was a staff and they began to say, Hail the king of the Jews. And they had no concept. They were, hail, they were saying hail to the king of all eternity. Amen. He's beaten within an inch of his very human life. He's fully God, fully man at the exact same time. They take that wooden cross, they put it on his Galilean carpenter's shoulder, and this Jesus, is he is meek, but meek oftentimes means strength under control. There is no fiber of weakness in who Jesus is, not physically, not emotionally. When he said, turn the other cheek, it wasn't because he couldn't put one on you. It's because he was trying to show us a higher way of living. They put that cross on his shoulders, and he carried it up a rock hill, and on his way there, the Bible says that people were spitting on him and slapping him until he got to the very top of it. And they laid that thing down in the dust. They stretched our Savior out on that cross. They pulled his hands and feet until they grabbed the crude metal spikes and drove one through each hand and one through his feet. They stood him up between heaven and earth, the cross suspending him in midair for everyone to look at not knowing that they were fulfilling the prophecy in John chapter 12 where Jesus himself said, if I will be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. There is only one execution from 2,000 years ago that we still speak about today. There is only one execution from 2,000 years ago where countless millions gather once, if not twice a week, to celebrate the name of the one who was killed. They had no idea that they were actually pushing the final domino, which would bring everything into play. Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth, his blood dripping down that wooden beam down into the soil that he actually, with his own hands, formed mankind out of. The Bible says that hill is called Golgotha because it's, it looks like a skull. It's the place of the skull. In other words, blood was pouring down that wooden beam out of the veins of our Galilean Savior into the place of the skull because Jesus knew you have to win the fight in your mind before you will win it anywhere else. The Bible says that they continued the process of executing him, people railing at him and spitting on him. The scripture makes it evidently clear that he could have called legions of angels to wipe all of humanity out and start over. Yet in the moment when I would have done that, he looks up at his dad and he says, Dad, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The scripture continues to say that it was in those last fleeting moments that there were two people that were crucified the same day, one on each side. One begins to mock him. Now, this man is about to die, and he is mocking somebody else. In other words, this man is at the lowest point of his life, and he's still finding a way to be ugly and haughty. Let me just say it differently. Some people get to their lowest low and still don't choose Jesus. You do not have to go to your lowest low to choose Jesus. Choose Jesus today. You don't have to put your nose in the ditch to find out he's good. Come on, give God a big hand of praise. 
On one hand, he's mocking him. On the other hand, a man looks over and said, don't you even fear God? And he looks at Jesus and says, if you're really God's son, would you please remember me? And Jesus looked at him and he said this. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That's the first man who went to heaven and the only answer he could give when he got to heaven when they said, why should we let you in is because Jesus said so. The Bible says that Jesus looks down at the people after asking his father to forgive him with a loud voice to make sure that everyone around could hear including Satan himself who was watching from the corner and he said, it is finished. When he said it's finished, he gave up the ghost. He died, the Bible says. And the sky turned black and there was great thunder and there was an earthquake. Rock split open. There was a veil in the temple that separated where people could go from the holiest of holies. And it was torn, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. Which is to say that heaven said, I don't want any separation between me and my creation. It was such a powerful moment that dead people who were in their graves got up and began to walk the streets of Jerusalem. It was such a powerful moment moment that one soldier who was tasked with killing Jesus, whenever he looked up and saw what was taking place, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. They take Jesus and they put him in a borrowed tomb. A man named Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea was where he was from, Joseph of Arimathea said, let's put him in my tomb, the tomb that nobody had ever laid in, the Bible said, which means it was a new tomb. In those days, you would have family tombs and everybody would be buried in the same spot if you had the finances to be able to buy that spot. The fact that Joseph's tomb had nobody laying in it means Joseph was probably the guy that bought it. The fact that Joseph was the guy that bought it and Joseph was a disciple of Jesus Christ, I believe it's very possible that Joseph began to prosper because he was following the teachings of Jesus Christ and was then made able to buy a place for him and the rest of his family. In other words, him and his lineage would be blessed. He comes to uh, uh, Pilate on that day, which was the most important day in all of humanity. And he says, please let me have the body of this man. He may mean nothing to you, but he means everything to me. I have a perfect tomb we can put him in. And if you think that sealing it with your seal will stop it, you can put a stone in front of it. You can put a train in front of it. You can put a herd of horses in front of it. But you can do whatever you want. Just let me have the bones of my Savior. And he took that Galilean body and they took it and wrapped it in cloth. And they laid it in a borrowed tomb. The reason it was a borrowed tomb is because he wasn't going to need it very long. The Bible says that they put him in that tomb and they laid him there. And three days later, Mary and Mary Magdalene began to go to the grave because they wanted to see where they had laid her son. And Mary Magdalene wanted to see where they had laid her her Savior. And they got there and what they found was amazing. The Bible says that the stone was rolled away and there was an angel sitting on the stone. And when they got to the tomb, the, the, the angel spoke to him and says, listen, you need to tell Jesus' disciples and tell Peter that he has done exactly what he said he would do. He is risen from the dead. He is alive and well, defeating death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says that he said, tell his disciples and Peter. Because when you're in your worst moment, is when he's thinking of you the most. Consequently, your loved ones, when they deserve love the least, is when they need it the most. 
Peter's in his lowest moment. Mary and Mary Magdalene begin to run back. They see Jesus. They go tell the disciples. And for 40 days, Jesus met with the disciples. He did everything he did with them before he died. He told them where to fish and almost sunk their boat for the amount of fish that they would catch. He did miracles. He taught them uh, uh, different uh, promises that will now be called the word of the living God. And he did all these wonderful things for 40 days. The reason 40 days is important because anytime you see 40 in the Bible, it's always a time or a period of testing. It's a proving period. The Bible says that the Israelites were held captive by Egypt for approximately 400 years. In other words, there was a proving season. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says when they were delivered, they went through the Red Sea and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, which happens to be 10% of the 400 that they were in captivity. In other words, they were giving God the 10% of what they'd just come out of. And that 40 years was a testing so that they could cross over the River Jordan and get into the promised land. 40 is always a number of testing. Jesus was proving that he could pass the test. He told them one day, he said, now I've got to go. He said, go into all the world, teach the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to do all these things, and I want the entire world to know who I am and what I'm about. The Bible says they come to a place, and Jesus looks at him and says, I'm going, but I will be back. And he begins to ascend into heaven, just exactly how you would think. And the Bible says as he goes, all of a sudden, humanity's eyes were opened and the sky was filled with angels. And the angel says, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're watching Jesus, trying to wait on him to come back. And the angel said, but what did he tell you to do? See, there's some people that are staring at the sky waiting on Jesus to come back, but they're not doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus wants you to go to heaven, but he wants everybody you know to go to heaven too. And if all you're doing is staring at the sky, you're not going to take anybody with you. Some of us are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Your mansion is being built. You don't have to wait on it. Matter of fact, he already knows what color you want. You don't have to ask him about it. But what I will tell you is this. What he wants more than anything else is for your mom and your son and your daughter and your niece and your grandmother to know how good Jesus can be to them as well. The Bible says that they go and they go to a place, they go into Jerusalem and they go to an upper room, which is a real fancy way of saying to an upstairs room. And the Bible says they were there for 10 days. 40 always is a proving period and 10 is always a number of testing. There were 10 plagues before uh, uh, the Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go. There are 10 commandments that prove that no human being can actually keep the law perfect. There were 10 virgins waiting on the bridegroom in the parable of the bridegroom. There are 10 commandments and tithe is always 10%. 10 is always a test. Can you wait for 40 days and can you wait for 10 more the bible says that it goes and they get in the upper room and this is where we pick up acts chapter number two somebody say amen. amen when the day of pentecost pentecost is very important pentecost means 50 or 50th day so literally it's 50 days after the passover it's another jewish feast when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all there with one accord 
in one place. Your Bible might say in one mind and one accord. Literally, they were all thinking towards the same things. They were all believing towards the same thing. That's why it's so important at church that we all have one vision because where there are multiple visions, you have at least two, and two means die, die vision. Anytime there's a multiple vision, you end up having trouble. That's why at this church, we have one simple vision. If you know it, say it with me. We exist to love people and point them to Christ. We don't make any bones about it. If you want to judge people, we're not mad at you for judging people, but we're not going to judge people. We believe that God is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we believe he is the judge and the jury. That means if somebody is in sin, we believe, God, that the word of God will prove that out to be true, but we're not going to sit there and point a bunch of fingers at somebody else because when, we got a bunch of, when we're pointing our fingers at somebody else, we got a bunch of fingers pointed back at us. We're going to love people and point them to Christ in any circumstance and in that order. We believe God is sufficient. We believe Jesus is sufficient. We believe that if somebody will give Jesus a chance, he will revolutionize their life. We believe he will cleanse them of their sin. And we believe he will write, the, we believe he will write their name in his, in his book of life. And we believe in the name of Jesus that their life will never be the same. Therefore, for us, we're just going to love people and point them to Christ. We're not going to try to uh, pick our favorite sin and decide that's the one we're going to pick on every day. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody, somebody doesn't like one particular thing, so they decide that's the worst sin in the world. Let me tell you something. Gossip's a pretty good sin that gets some, gets some press in the Bible too. So literally, they're waiting in the upper room. They're in one mind, the Bible says. They're focused. Verse 2. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled, somebody say filled, it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven, which means divided or split tongues like fire. And it sat or rested upon each of them. They were in the middle of a sign and a wonder that could not be explained. We don't have a picture of it before and we don't have a picture of it after with regards to cloven tongues of fire sitting on people. Something supernatural is taking place. And the Bible says they were all filled. Somebody say filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, or your Bible might say the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let me, let me just stop here for just a second. Because tongues can be a very unique scenario in the body of Christ and in the world. Number one, if you've never been around tongues or somebody speaking or praying in tongues, it can be extremely confusing and very weird looking. Who in here has ever been around somebody speaking in tongues or you speak in tongues? So you know exactly what I'm saying. It can be like totally weird looking. And the Bible actually says, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says very clearly, if you're around people that have never experienced this, if you're around people that may not believe in Jesus yet, or if you're around people that don't have a good understanding of what's taking place, it would be better for you to speak five words in understanding, whatever the language is that you speak, than 10,000 words in tongues. Because what's going to happen is you're just going to confuse the people that don't understand it. You say, well, what do you mean? What I mean is you're not talking to people when you're speaking in tongues. You are talking to God when you're speaking in tongues. It is the Holy Spirit making utterance with you. And let me just say this. 
Praying in an unknown tongue is not a prerequisite to get to heaven. Whoever said that is wrong. God bless them for saying it, but they are wrong. It is a gift. It should be desired. If you want it, God will give it to you. There's absolutely no doubt about it, but it is not a requirement to get to heaven. You do not become a VIP Christian just because you pray in tongues. On the contrary, I've known... I've known some Christians that I think took a step back when they started elevating their gifts more than they elevate the one who gave the gift himself. So the reality of it is they're sitting there and all of a sudden they begin to speak in other tongues. Well, let let me give you another example of that. I pray in other tongues every single day of my life for nearly 20 years now. No, probably 20 years now. And for me, there are times when the presence of Almighty God is so strong in a moment that I cannot come up with words that I think would reasonably dictate what I am trying to say about him. And the only thing that makes sense is groans and utterances that cannot be understood in my understanding or by anybody else around me. But I know the spirit of the living God is praying through me. I'm praying out great mysteries. I'm also, the Bible says, giving God praise very well. This is what's happening on the day of Pentecost. The power of Almighty God was so strong that nothing you could think of to say even came close to actually addressing what was going on in that room. The Bible says that they're there and they all began to speak in tongues and, and then what happened was so powerful it began to spill out in the streets. Oh God help us all if the church actually got outside the church and began to be the church in the street and not just in the pews. It spilled out in the streets and everybody's there. It's 9 o'clock in the morning and everybody's going, what's going on? These people are nuts. Now think about this. If you don't think the gifts of the Spirit need explanation, this is easily the most powerful day that the Holy Spirit has ever moved on the planet. Can we agree? The day of Pentecost. And everybody that wasn't in the room thought they were nuts they said man I don't these guys are nuts everybody started going these people are drunk I'm like no just crystal (laughs) take me back dear Lord where I first believed I'm back They're drunk. The Bible says Peter stands up. Verse 14. 12. Everybody was amazed. And what they saw was actually causing them to doubt. When's the last time you thought about that? You flowing in a gift God just gave you might cause somebody to doubt if you misuse it. Would you want to risk somebody's soul so that you could do what you want to do and have the ability and authority to do at any time? Everybody says, what does this mean? Others began to mock them. So these men are all full of new wine. I find it interesting that Peter's about to address this and he's not going to say it's not real, but he does have to explain it. I don't think we should be scared to explain things in the body of Christ. 
to the best of our ability. There's some things that just won't be understand. Cloven tongues of fire. What did that look like? Like a real tongue? I don't know. <laughs> but I believe it. Do you know why I believe it? It's in the book. If I die tomorrow, put on my headstone, he died believing the Bible. I don't have to under, understand it all to believe it. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunk like you suppose. They are drunk. They're just not drunk with alcohol. Come on, they're not drunk with sangria and Bud Light and all that other nonsense. They're drunk in the Holy Spirit. God didn't say don't get drunk. He said don't get drunk with alcohol. Why? Because when you get drunk with alcohol, it pacifies all your problems, but then you wake up with your problems. But if you get drunk in the Holy Spirit, it pacifies all your problems, and you wake up, and your problems either don't matter as much to you anymore, but you certainly don't wake up with a hangover. Come on, give God a big hand of praise. I found he shows up where he's appreciated. They're not drunk like you suppose. It's just the third hour of the day or six o'clock in the morning. Must have never been to College Station on a game day. If I'm stepping on your toes, fix your toes. But this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of. And it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When you've seen your children prophesy, the first time I saw my children to begin to flow in their spiritual gifts, my physical body couldn't take it. I was not emotionally prepared to see them and to see the supernatural side of them. Remember, mankind had all these voids. They were never intended. The Bible says that you'll see them prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. The young men see visions because the young men don't ever want to stop and sleep. They just want to go, 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 go. Old men get a little wiser. You realize you need some rest. The problem is you don't typically get your wisdom till you get older. But by the time you get older, your strength might begin to come down a little bit. So what we need is we need the strength of the young and the wisdom of the older. And anything out of, out of kilter is an unjust balance. And an unjust balance is an abomination to God. In other words, church, we got to have the young people. Young people, you got to have those who've gone before you or this thing doesn't work. It's the strength of the, old, of the young and the wisdom of the old. And it causes us to do things that we never could have done by ourselves. Spirit-filled life, what are we even talking about? It's not difficult to make the right decision. It's the follow-through. Number one, I'm going to give you four keys real quick. Then we're going to all go eat fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. Some of y'all are going to 
find a donut place. If you're going to live spirit-filled, number one, filled means occupied to capacity. Occupied to capacity. Think of a five-gallon bucket filled with water. When it's occupied to capacity, it's filled to the very brim. And if it just sits there, it can just stay there. Eventually, the water will begin to evaporate. But if it begins to move, now the water may be jostled around and fall out. That's why he said he's going to give you exceeding abundantly above more than you could ask or think. That's why he said he's going to pour out the blessings of heaven, open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings you don't have room enough to receive because the whole plan is for you to be filled, get moving, and let him keep refilling you the whole way. If it's not splashing out of you, the living water that you've been giving, it's never going to get on somebody else. Occupied to capacity. Let me just talk real deep to you just a second. The only places he won't fill are the, are the places are the places that we refuse to give him access to. So I don't know if you were really hurt when you were young. I don't know if you've been lied to or lied about, or maybe you're carrying a lie that you've never turned away from. He will fill that void. And change your entire situation. Because the only reason the Holy Spirit could fill them on the day of Pentecost. Or that the Holy Spirit could come and get on the inside of believers. Was because their insides had been cleaned. I don't look like it. But I am an exceptional dishwasher. World class. I hate a dishwasher. I feel like it's working twice. You clean it, you put it in the thing, then you close it, and then sometime later you got to come back and empty the doggone thing. I'd rather just do it all. I'd rather just clean the doggone dishes. Come on, let's vote. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm an exceptional dishwasher. What I know, it doesn't matter how clean the outside of the pot is, if the inside's still filthy. The first thing you clean is the inside. Then you work on the outside because it's not near as important as the inside. You take a dirty pot. You make you a nice stew. Let it sit in the refrigerator for two or three days. And then just dump it in the sink. Don't clean it. Go put it on the stove. Pour some water in there. You don't have clear water. You have nasty water. This is you. When you don't have Jesus, the Bible says that... The Bible says that his blood washes our sins away. You become a clean vessel once again. Now the Holy Spirit, which is completely pure, can fill you from the floor to the ceiling because now you are a vessel that is capable of handling that which is pure without tarnishing it, tarnishing it not because of how good you are, but because of the blood of Jesus that has cleansed you. So what happens is now you have the opportunity to be filled. Before you knew Jesus, you didn't have a chance. The Holy Spirit can't live on the inside of you because you're filthy on the inside. Now you get cleaned on the inside. Now the Holy Spirit comes, fills you up, and guess what? He starts working on the outside. We used to sing this song. I got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. 
That's all I remember. I do remember the leg kick in the guitar, though. You get clean on the inside, now you're a candidate to be filled. And when you're filled, listen to this. He'll occupy every space you'll give him access to. And not one single space that you do not give him access to. If you're carrying depression, if you're carrying guilt, shame, I mean this respectfully. But he doesn't often barge through doors. Most of the time he knocks and when we open the door, he'll come in. He'll fill every space to capacity that we will give him. And none of the others. Number two. To be filled like a job or a position. To occupy and perform the duties of. Number two. To occupy and perform the duties of. If somebody retires and they they work for a company and they have a position, that position has to be filled. And the person that comes into that position, they don't just do what they used to do. Now they occupy and perform the duties of that position. The Holy Spirit in a spirit-filled life, He will begin to perform the duties for you that you don't know you need to do. He'll give you the right words at the right time. He'll give you the right, he'll give you the right unction. He'll, he'll encourage you to pray in the right moment. He'll, he'll, he'll shape and shift your life. I'll give you one example. Last week, my 12-year-old daughter, we're driving to baseball, and she says to me, she says, Dad, I said, what? She said, she said what, uh, what, what are all the different denominations about? I said, well, a lot of different people, you know, years ago particularly, believed different about different segments of the Bible, so they developed these different denominations, and, and now we have different kinds of churches everywhere. She said, well, that doesn't sound right. I said, <laughs> I said, well, I said, you know, if they love Jesus, we love them. That's all there is to it. She said, yeah. I, she said, well, well, tell me some of the differences. I said, okay. And we got on baptism. I said, some people believe in baptizing and saying one thing. Some people believe in baptizing saying another thing. Some people believe in baptizing putting people underwater. Some people believe doing it when you're, when you're a kid, and you, and, and, like a baby. And, and the baby's not choosing it. They're just doing it. Some people believe that it's something that people need to make the decision on their own. Some people believe that you sprinkle some water over them, the same thing as baptism. They believe all different ways. She said, what do you think? I said, I don't think Jesus is mad at anybody being baptized. Anyway. She said, what do you mean? I said, I don't think Jesus is mad about that. She said, well, Daddy, how did John the Baptist do it? I said, well, the best of our understanding, because the Bible's not a picture book. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> Bible's not a picture book, praise the Lord. You can't YouTube the Bible. So we assume John put Jesus all the way under the water. That's the picture we have of it, right? She said, well, that's the way I think we ought to do it. I said, I do too. That's the way we do it. She said, she said well, well, doesn't that make that right? I said, I think it's the way we do it, and I think that's the way it should be done. I said, but what if somebody's in the middle of the desert, and the only drop of water around is a bottle of water this big, and they give their life to Jesus? How are they supposed to be baptized? She said, huh. I said, so I think if you baptize somebody in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Jesus' name right there over their head and sprinkle some water over their head, I think they're just as baptized as they would have been otherwise. 
I said, personally, I don't think, G- I don't think the Lord is going to be frustrated at anybody being baptized in his son's name. I don't think anybody's going to be, uh, he, I don't think he's going to be frustrated with anybody being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're interchangeable all through the New Testament. I don't think anybody, I don't think he's up there getting bent about it. I think it's humans that split hairs and Jesus just worried about getting hairs into heaven. That's what I think. So she says, well, that's real interesting, Dad. I said, yeah. She said, because she's talking to somebody. She's trying to get them saved. She said, I don't want to offend them. I said, no, you don't want to offend them. I said, you just tell them the truth. She said, well, I don't know what to say. I said, well, that's when you ask God. I said, that's what the Holy Spirit does. This is what I'm talking about right here. He occupies a position and performs the duties thereof. She said, well, how do you know it's him? I said, you won't. She said, what do you mean? I said, you just ask him and then try to make your best effort. Sometimes he'll speak to you, make it real clear, and that's super easy. But most time he doesn't. But what God does, he takes your words that he's inspiring through you. And like a master chef, he takes the knife and he smooths all the icing on the cake. And you don't see any imperfections. You only see what the chef wants you to see. This is the Holy Spirit performing the duties. Now, why is this important? This past week, they go to youth camp, 2 o'clock in the morning. They're having a worship session. Everybody's all crying like what happens in those situations. And a young girl says, I've never been baptized and I've always, I've always wanted to be baptized. She said, why not? She said, well, you know, just different things. Haley said, well, you can be baptized right now. She said, we're not in church. She said, we don't have to be in church to be baptized. Bring me a bottle of water. This is the Holy Spirit performing the duties on the inside and through you. I have no idea this is going to happen. She has no idea this is going to happen. They're about to baptize her with a bottle of water. Finally, somebody goes, i tell you what, we can fill a bathtub up. They ended up baptizing the girl in the dorm, in the bathtub, 2 o'clock in the morning. Give God a big hand of praise for what He's doing. Talking about living a Spirit-filled life. A life where the Spirit of God begins to perform through you. Number three. Almost done. Y'all lock in with me. He occupies... The voids for the sake of stabilization. He occupies the voids for the sake of being stabilized. Who in here has ever dug a fence post? Just wave at me. See me after church. I've got a lot that I need dug. Has nothing to do with the message. I just, now that I know. I've dug a lot, all right? And the way, you know, who's ever dug with post hole diggers? You know what I'm talking about? It never goes this easy. <laughs> you know you're working if the post hole diggers hit the ground and your feet come up. That's when you know. That's when you're really getting it. But what happens is you dig the post, the hole, you stick the post in, the hole's bigger than the post most of the time. And the post just shake and wobble. And you can do your best. You can take all the dirt you took out and you put it in there and you can tamp it down as best you can and it'll somewhat stabilize. But you're replacing what you took out with the exact same material that was once there. Around here, what we do if we really need something to be stable is we take a bunch of concrete. And the concrete does one thing. It gets real hard, but the other thing it does, it goes down and it fills all the cracks and crevices because it goes in like a liquid, right? Like a slurry. It goes in like a liquid and it gets into all the cracks and crevices and little voids and the little pockets that we can't see from above. See, this is what God does. 
The Holy Spirit comes in and all those little pockets and, and crevices and, and areas that we're going to need him that we don't even know about. He comes in and he just fills all those up. And then all of a sudden he sets up and becomes rock hard in your life. And all of a sudden what used to be just a bunch of clay or used to be just a bunch of dust, which is all you ever formed, which was all you ever formed with, which wasn't very stable. Now all of a sudden you're stabilized by the power and the presence of God in any and all situations. Filling those areas you can't even see number four filled talking about what it's like to be spirit filled completely satisfied come on like five minutes after Thanksgiving dinner you're not thinking about food you're thinking about I'm going on a diet tomorrow number one you're lying number two Because you know what's going to be in the fridge? All the leftovers. You're going to be like, just a little more dressing. Just a little more dressing. Just a little bit more is all I'm going to eat. Some of this fruit salad. (gasps) Well, you can't throw it out. No, I can't throw that out. No, I'm going to have to eat that. I don't want to be wasteful. I don't want to be wasteful. I'm going to be (laughs) weightful. Completely satisfied. When you're completely filled, when you're completely satisfied, you don't have to try to not do something else. Five minutes after you're done with Thanksgiving, you're not thinking about another meal. You're thinking about how full you are. This is what the spirit-filled life is. It's not trying to figure out everything not to do because God is out to get you. That's not true. It's trying to stay filled with who he is, doing what he's called you to do, and then you don't have any need or desire to do the other nonsense. You, be, you become satisfied. These are, the, these are the exact same guys in the Bible that before they were filled, they ran for their lives, feared to be murdered, that willingly after they were filled, laid their life down and didn't even think about it. Oh, we're going to kill you. We're going to nail you to a cross. That's fine, but put it upside down because I'm not worried to be nailed like Jesus was. We're going to boil you in oil. Heat it up. Fine with me. We're going to throw you in the lion's den. Such is life. When you're completely satisfied, because let me just say this. Your job will never satisfy you. Oh, you'll get satisfaction from it, and you should. Do your work as unto the Lord. But you were never called to be satisfied by your job, because no matter how creative and how fun it is, it's going to have some slow seasons. You were never called to be satisfied by your job. You were never called to be completely satisfied by your spouse. Oh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a marriage seminar. I can already feel it. You're designed to satisfy one another emotionally and in all other ways, but you were never designed to put that kind of pressure on your spouse. Nobody can sustain that. You're designed to be filled with the Spirit of God to where you're completely full and satisfied. Because here's what happened. Jesus was arrested and Peter denied him three times. But as soon as he was filled with the Spirit of God, which is the only difference we really see, he was the first person to speak up. In other words, Peter was really good at making the decision to do the right thing. It was the follow-through that he struggled with. 
But as soon as the Spirit of God came in and occupied him to capacity, occupied him and began to perform the duties thereof, began to occupy and stabilize who he was, and then he became completely satisfied by who God is, completely filled by the Spirit of God. Now he's the first person to stick up for God when everybody else is running away. Did you know Moses went up on a mountain years and years before brought down the Ten Commandments. You remember that? He takes them because he sees, comes down, all the people have made a golden image and they're worshiping a golden image because they couldn't wait 40 days. Does that sound familiar? He takes the stones that God stuck his holy finger on and wrote the first text message to mankind, the Ten Commandments. And he throws the stones down and that's where we get the, the term break the law. He broke the law. 3,000 people were killed that day. Fast forward to this day when the Holy Spirit fills from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. And now the disciples didn't just have the ability to make the right decision. Now they had the God ability to make the right decision and follow through with it. And this day, 3,000 people were born again. When the law comes in, It gets hard. The law wasn't given to try to make you have to do them. We should. The law was given to prove that we can't. And we all need a Savior. Plus, it's a great recipe for success in life. How many of you believe if you don't lie, your life might be better off than if you do lie? 3,000 people born again. Because the Holy Spirit gives you the power to follow through with the great decisions you're already making. Come on, give God a hand of praise today. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to take just a moment and worship. Bring the band back up. If you're here and that's you, you say, there's areas of my life I haven't given to God. There's areas of my life where I, I, I know I've restricted access to Him. Let today be the day where you just say, that's it. I'm not going through life the same. I'm giving it all to Him. I'm giving Him full access. Maybe this is the day where the Holy Spirit, you've never never, uh, asked Him to fill you. I'm going to encourage you this. Ask Him to fill you today, to occupy those areas where He can stabilize your life. Ask Him to occupy those areas so that He can completely satisfy you. So many times... We're living life and and, and we're going from one sense of appeasement or satisfaction to another when the reality is, is he's more than enough. He's more than sufficient. And when you find satisfaction in him, everything begins to shift and mold. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. Just for a few moments, let's worship the Lord. Father, we are here today believing you that you can and will do exactly what you said you will do. We're asking you, Lord God, to fill each one of us once again. To hold us in your embrace and your touch. Lord, we're asking you to fill each one of us to overflow, that we be completely satisfied. If there's anyone here today who has been withholding or holding on to shame, we're saying, Lord God, that today we open the door for your spirit to come and occupy and fill to capacity each space. This is not about 
judgment in any way. This is about a hope and a new life that gives us the ability, that gives us the ability to follow through, to not just make a good decision on the front side, but to follow through. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.